Here we are on the eve of Altamont's first ever Founders Day, gathered in the gathering space for Altamont, the Altamont Free Library, hosted by its director, Joe Burke. And he is starting us out with a wonderful story about the late Everett Rao. And then we will hear from many people with long memories in Altamont. And we'll conclude this section because we've made it into two parts since we can't bear to eliminate any of it. We will conclude where we began And perhaps, as T.S. Eliot said, know the place for the first time when we hear another story about Everett Rao. And this is how, with great patience and community care, he was able to save an historic carriage house that would have been otherwise torn down because he knew how to go one inch at a time. And we were, he and I, sitting uh, over in the window there, and he told me a story about the first time that he uh, came into this building when it was still a, a railway station. He was five years old, and he came in with his grandfather. And as they walked into the building, he heard this noise they never heard before. The sound that went. He had never heard that, and his grandfather picked him up and showed him the telegrapher station, and it was right where we were sitting, um, right where we were sitting as he was telling me the story. Well, Ev, and he got on a train and went into Albany, and they got off at the uh, Union Station and uh, walked up State Street to the New York State Capitol and walked up those big uh, stairs, that big set of stairs on the west side of the Capitol, and into a room there that's still there, and... Uh, that room contains a collection of historic flags, battalion flags and regimental flags. Um, and his grandfather was looking for a particular one, and he found it. And he started crying, because it was under that flag that he had fought in the American Civil War. And the idea that I could be standing in a place talking to somebody who had been held in the arms of somebody who fought in the Civil War was so profoundly moving to me. And I was so grateful at that time that he had been able to record so many of his stories, get so many of them down, get them told, get them preserved. And I hope that we do a little bit of that here tonight. So this is the Altamont Story Swap. We would love to hear stories about the Civil War if you've got any, but what we really (laughs) want... What we really want are stories about Altamont and the people and the places and the things that you've seen and the things that you've heard and the rumors uh, and uh, don't spare any of the gruesome details. We are joined this evening uh, by a very special guest, Melissa Hale Spencer of the Altamont Enterprise, the greatest preserver uh, of Altamont history uh, that uh, has ever existed. And um, not not both both personally and institutionally. Um, and uh, uh, as we go through this evening, uh, Melissa is going to try to prompt some stories along, give us a couple of cues, and uh, hopefully that will trigger some memories and some stories. So let them flow. 
Uh, well, just so people know, we're sitting in this beautifully restored train station that was the heart of Altamont and caused the houses to grow up around it, and it still is the heart in a different way. Today, when I came in earlier, there were little kids saying goodbye to Mr. Joe, <laughs> and it still is a, a central meeting place, and I just loved watching you all come in old friends hugging each other that maybe hadn't seen each other in a while, and at least two mother-daughter pairs that, that go through generations. And what strikes me about Altamont that is becoming more and more rare is there's a sense of place here. There's a sense of something beyond what you get reaching out and connecting through the Internet. So I just thought we'd kind of go in a circle first and just say who you are and how long you've lived in Altamont, and then we'll start out with some topics because I'm going to try to, as you're talking, say, for instance, this is Carol DeBrin talking, because what happens with voices in a podcast or a recording, you sometimes lose track of who it is that's talking. But if we just want to start with you, Carol, and there's this traveling microphone that will come to you. <laughs> and I make so much noise, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody would ever mistake it. <laughs> tell us uh, just how you came to Altamont and how long you've lived here. But my family moved here in 39, 1939, so I have lived, it's been my family home for 80 years. And uh, But back to the Civil War, my great-great-great-grandfather led the northern troops from northern New York all the way down. He had been a veteran of the War of 1812, so he was elderly, but his picture is hanging there in the Capitol. And wow. his name was Sanford. <laughs> that is impressive. And so moving along, we have, is it Mary Hughes? Yes. Uh, I've lived here for 91 years, and uh, right up on Prospect Terrace. And it, uh, the home I lived in was across from where the plant store is. And um, that house was built in... Uh, I want to say 1872, somewhere on the uh, ground. My father found the date it was built, but I can't tell you where it is. But it's it's been an interesting. Yeah, and I when we tell stories, I'd love to hear about how a house shapes you. Behind we have Lois and Ron Ginsburg, and you've been here. Just over half a century, is that? We've been here, it was 51 years in July. And we came here because Ron was up here for a job interview. His brother was uh, working at the Albany High School, at the t- uh, not Albany, Altamont High School. No. Gilderland I'm really confused. Oh, it's Gilderland High School. And he took Ron on a tour of the village. And Ron brought home a copy of the Enterprise. And we are now weekly subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron takes the most amazing pictures for the archives and to inform us all of the beautiful things right in front of us that we sometimes don't see. And then if we go around the circle, I guess this way, we're going to come to Kristen's mother, Jean Hungerford Crawl. Is that right? Oh, Crawl. Well, I've been here for... 91 years, just as Mary had. And when first place I stayed, or that we were there temporarily, was at my aunt Bernice and Uncle Bill Van Zandt's 
across the street from where Mary lived. And, uh, but I was here, I graduated from Alphonse High School, I, but I came here when I was only five years old. And I lived here then, graduated in 1940, and so I was here for that length of time until I was married in 1947 and moved away for a spell, <laughs> quite a spell, and came back in, uh, 20 years ago, in 1999, to be with my daughter, Kristen, and my daughter, Herbie. So I've been here a while. My family's been here much longer than that. May I interrupt and say, one of your far past ancestors was killed in the anti-rent wars. He was the only one that was, a Hungerford from up on the mountain. But he was not my direct relative. He wasn't. He yours. was. Okay. My Isaac Hungerford was uh, only a child at that time. But that one, I think, was a, a son of, a, of another, possibly a, a son of... I really don't know. We've been tracing the, everything. <laughs> well, there are the Hungerfers. There are quite a few. But he was branches. he was a relative of some description. Yes, but he was not my grandfather, great grandfather. And then so. we have Mary Lario. Right. My maiden name was Loomis, and my parents. I mean, I've lived in Altamont almost my whole life. I mean, I've moved away, but not very far. I keep coming back, and right now I just live outside of the village. Um, my parents moved here. They got married in 1946, and they built their house on Lincoln Avenue, I believe, a year or so later. Um, so I grew up on Lincoln Avenue in Altamont. It was a wonderful place to grow up. It was a wonderful place. We raised our kids for a while in the village. So I have lots of good memories of of Altamont. And the reason my parents settled here was because it was so self-contained at the time. I mean, we had doctors, we had a grocery store, we had the drugstore. So they felt very comfortable that at that time, everything that they needed was right in the village. They didn't have to travel to, you know, Albany or anywhere for their shopping. Everything was self-contained, including two doctors that made house calls. So, <laughs> so I've been here a long time, not 80 or 90 years, but I would say probably 60 years anyway. So... Great. And then behind you, we have the Howies. If we could just hear from you. Uh, I'm Ellen Howie, and I had talked to Newt Ronan tonight, uh, who can't be here, but he has given me some stories, and he and Jane moved here in 1958. So I'll tell you a Newt Ronan story later. Okay. <laughs> I'm Dick Howie, and uh, like Ellen said, we moved here in... 1964, 1964. Didn't know anything about Altamont, and, but I was, had a job at the airport, so that's, we got uh, told to, there was an ad to paper for a rental here on, on uh, what was it, oh, Severson Avenue, and uh, we stayed there until a couple of years later, we bought a house on Prospect Terrace, and uh, we had two children when we first got here, but we had a third a little while later, and they all went to school at the elementary school here in Altamont. And uh, it's been a, a wonderful time living here. 
Well, as we're starting in on stories, school might be a good place to start. Does anyone have memories of their earliest schooling in Altamont and what that was like? I'm sure we all well, well, any that you want to share? Well, I had forgotten until Joe talked about the railroad that um, one of our field trips from the Altamont Elementary School was taking the train from the village down to Albany. I'm not sure if we went to the post office down there or the Capitol, but you know that was our big field trip from Altamont Elementary School was to come and take the train down to the city of Albany. Mm-hmm. So that was one of our you know early uh, that was my early school memories from Altamont. It's a good one. Does anybody else have a school memory? You said before they took it down. So could you tell us about the beautiful old high school that we've only seen pictures of? It's a two-story house, and our elementary grades were on the first floor, and every room had two classes, the first and second in one, a third and fourth, and five and six in another. And uh, the first floor took care of the eighth grades, and then the high school uh, was upstairs, basically. The library was up. There was no cafeteria. We had to go home for lunch or bring our lunch. Uh, but no most, school buses. And no school buses. Well, we did uh, eventually, we got some from um, Gilderland Center. Some children came up from Gilderland Center. Bud Pearlie. Yeah, Bud Pearlie uh, Bud came, Pearlie came, came from, from Gilderland. Well, Bud came from Accountville, <clears throat> and uh, that was in our later years. But it looked like it must be, and this is just judging from pictures, probably pictures <laughs> that were recorded by you. I have seen um, very, they look like close-knit small classes. I've seen like the girls all dressed in white dresses for, this is for graduation. And um, I mean, it, it, they were small groups and you must have gotten very close to each other. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, by, by the time I graduated in '45 from Altamont High School, my graduating class had 17 in it. So we were not crowded, and you were the year after me. Oh, 46. Yes, 46. because I was able to skip second grade because I went to a one-room schoolhouse where I did first and second grade at one time in New Scotland. <laughs> We're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> well, are there other people that have school memories that stand out? Yes, I see a yes coming over here. And we're going to hear from Jean now. What was it like walking to school? Kristen is prompting her mother on what it was like walking to school. I guess there were stories about that long school walk. About the walking th- to school, oh, Kristen's walking telling you. To school. When I think of the miles I must have walked in those twelve years of school, because I lived over on Western Avenue. Oh yeah, that was a the, hike. What do you call it? The group home. The group yeah. home. Anyway, I, it was a farm when I lived there, and uh, but we, as Mary said, we walked. What, four times? Yeah, yeah. I walked back and forth. It was a mile. So you were further away. Or in the winter, my father, who had to drive to work, might let me off at the end of Grand Street so I could walk to school just that block. And then when you went home for lunch, did you have mothers waiting for you with your lunches oh, prepared? Yes. <laughs> that in itself is a miracle these days. So tell- they, they were there when we got over lunch and when we got home from school, they were there. Yeah. 
So, but that that was as uh, Carol said in the winter. It was not easy, believe me. <laughs> and my parents didn't have a car, so we walked the whole way from the time I was five years old until I graduated from high school. Well, it's probably why you're in such good shape today. <laughs> I think it helped. <laughs> well, several of you mentioned specific homes, your houses, the structures themselves. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts on how those houses shaped you. I mean, one of the things that's so beautiful about Altamont is the Victorian homes. And just any stories about, I don't know, ghosts in the house when Halloween's coming or, you know, attic rooms <clears throat> or cellars with secret hiding places or any any house memories that are part of who you are? Meg, yes, Meg Seinberg-Hughes, the daughter of Mary. And um, I, we grew up on Grand Street and um, right down from the school. So I was one of those kids that also in the 50s and early 60s, I would walk home for lunch. And... Um, I just love the fact that I got to leave. <laughs> now, I did have a lunchroom um, when I went to school, but I, it was so nice to be able to take a break in the middle of the day and go home and get lunch, get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, but the house that we lived in on Grand Street was interesting because it was it had two sets of stairs. It had a front a, a grand front staircase, but then it had a little staircase off the kitchen, and it led up to a room which ended up being my room when I was a little bit older. And right on the same floor where the door was the attic. It was right there. And I had a big brother that liked to scare me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was always very aware that the attic, with all of the ghosties and all of it, and all of our old dusty stuff, um, was right there next to my bedroom. So when I, when I got a little bit older, happily, it was like a great place to go play. But when I was little, it was scary. It was yeah, scary. I bet. So I it bet. was just a neat house. It was a very funky house. And Kristen has something. I wanted to just share, and Mom, you can fill in a memory she told me about the house that she lived in at the end of Lincoln, that um, half of the house was owned by the farm farmer that owned the, the property, and he used to uh, have his cows pasture now where... Lincoln Avenue is. There were not many houses there at the time. But the story I wanted to mention was that when the fair was in town, they would have some of the drivers stay upstairs in the house, and you would have to then use the outhouse because the uh, drivers would get to use the their bathroom oh. inside. <laughs> and these were the race car drivers. Oh, wow, how exciting to have them bunked at your house. They were only one at a time. They but really weren't. They were kind of lot. heroes of the era. Well, we didn't see much of them yeah. because the way the house was designed, they were upstairs, of course. And while they were there, we were downstairs and outside. I mean, so we really didn't see. And they weren't there that much. They just came home to sleep or to the house to sleep. And to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they needed up there was the upstairs part was their territory and what it was. Talking about Altamont and the fair, in the 30s, they still had horse racing and auto racing at the mm -hmm. fairgrounds. And so that was lots of fun. And actually a guy that grew up in Altamont and became a champion, uh, won the uh, Indianapolis 500. 
was injured later and came back to Altamont, and the Kiwanis built him a home. Who was that? Here in Altamont, someplace, I'm not sure which. But uh, he, uh, so Altamont was a well-known half-mile dirt track for the auto races. My mother was an auto race nut, and so we came to every (laughs) single race. And my father was a horse race nut, so we came to see every, it was uh, sulky racing, you know, pacers and trotters. But so... uh, I got to know the people, the drivers, some of them, down in the pit because we were always there. And the most famous one, I think, that I remember was a guy named Joey Chitwood. There's a general murmur of acknowledgement. (laughs) So who has other fair stories or Joey Chitwood stories? That seems to have hit a nerve. Other Altamont fair stories, memories you had of going to the fair or... Showing stuff at the fair, or I have lots of memories of that. Oh, good. We're back to Jean. But I have there's one I remember didn't necessarily a happy memory for me, but uh, my father was uh, that day helping with taking tickets at the gate, and the auto racing was going on, and uh, a man, a guy named um, Townsend. Townsend from up on the hill. Mm-hmm. He walked across the track while the race was going on, and he was hit and killed. Oh. My father watched it. <laughs> that was not a very happy day. No. But but other than that, as Carol said, Joey Chitwood was one of these. He wasn't a race driver, but he provided the the thrills and chills of all the stunts with the cars and all this kind of stuff. Joey Shitwood in the, his thrill show traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, 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 that's really what it was. But I went to the, I loved the horse races. And I loved the automobile races, and uh, the rides were terrific. Were there different rides? And what what were some of the rides in that earlier oh, era? The rides, yeah. Well, I don't know, the usual merry-go-round yeah. and the... Uh, Ferris wheel. Yeah. Ferris yeah, wheel. That was big, that was big stuff. <laughs> and that one that the has has the two arms with a thing at each end and actually went <laughs> like this. Mm-hmm. And I took Marsha and Bud to the fair one time and the thing stalled up on the top and everything Bud had in his pockets went flying. He was stalled up on the top oh, of the thing. But no, those are the I can't remember any of the any of the particular rides. Of course well, as younger that, I, I don't know. It, uh, top and bottom it was a long thing and it went around and you're yeah. set in one of the two capsules either end. And I remember, I'm terrified of heights. And I took my grandson, and we got stuck up at the top. And he kept saying, are you scared, Grandma? Are you scared, Grandma? I was terrified, but I didn't dare admit it. I said, oh, we'll be down in a few minutes. Isn't this fun? (laughs) Are there any other fair memories? Did any of you enter any of the contests for baking or, oh, Go ahead, no, Dick. I Dick just Howie. remember uh, when the fair was coming, a couple of days before it opened, we would walk over and walk all around and watch them set it up. And that was really interesting to get the big tent and they put it up. And uh, it, was, it was really fun just to watch. 
and the place was empty except for the workers, you know. So it was. So when they had the like a big top, did they have elephants pulling up the tent? Or? Yes, it, yes. Oh, yeah. But that was out oh, on outside, <coughs> off of my uh, main street, wasn't it? Well, it was down by Gardner Road, and uh, we we got up early and went down on our bikes mm. to see the elephant pull up the tent. It was a one one ring circus, and they only stayed one day. Oh, it was fabulous. I was in 4-H growing up in Altamont, so I spent a lot of time at the fair. I mean, I had exhibits, and I did demonstrations. And so Do you remember any of them in particular? Well, I remember one of my demonstrations that got me to the state fair. So, I mean, I must have done all right because I got to move on to the state fair and what level. what was that? Um, it was some kind of, was some kind of a dairy special meal that was, it was a family recipe that my mother and my grandmother had made of a casserole. It's called apple noodle casserole. I still make it every Christmas. Um, and I think it was because it was so different that I got a, a real good placement at the Altamont Fair and then I got to move on to do the same demonstration at the State Fair. But one of my other remembrances of the fair is the year that the train derailed in the village right behind the fair and I can, can remember we all went on our bikes to see it it was all exciting I mean, the coal cars had spilled and everything but I can remember even then thinking thank god this wasn't a week earlier because it came like right through the that restroom that was up along the train tracks and I kept thinking oh my gosh if it had come during fair week you know people would have been hurt or killed or the damage would have been so much worse but to us that was a really big deal I mean we all took our bikes and went to see the damage that you know the train yeah, that had derailed gosh. right in the village so Wow. Well, are there any other? Yeah. Oh, we're now moving to um, Lois Ginsburg. Yeah. Many years ago at the Farmhouse Museum, John Armstrong had an ice cream machine, and we'd make homemade ice cream and hand it out in cupcake um, papers to the people who came. What a treat. And... Unfortunately, it broke, <laughs> and so and now we just, because of the health regulations, it would be impossible to do that. And one year, I knit a sweater that got best of fair, and it went to Syracuse, and and that too is the state fair. Didn't do well in Syracuse, but it got best of fair here in Altamont. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good enough. <laughs> and Kristen has something. No, Jean has something. It reminds me. Uh, my aunt Florence Simmons, who lived on uh, Helderberg Avenue, up one of the three houses beyond the funeral parlor, she raised the whole backyard of the house during the summer, was filled with the most beautiful dahlias you ever laid eyes on. I mean, they were on, she had them on poles that were up high like oh, this. Wow. And she always exhibited those at the fair. And she won many prizes, so I remember that. But as far as the fair is concerned, when I was a kid, yet I figured that I was raised not not too long after the Depression. And as far as going to the fair a lot and so forth, we didn't have money to do that. So as younger kids, <coughs> We just didn't get to go one one day a week. We we went to the fair, 
So it was a real special treat. Well, tell us about any of you, some of the Depression-era pastimes in Altamont. What did people do without money entertaining themselves? Carol, you had something different. Well, I just wanted to say at the fair, all of the community organizations had a booth or something there so that the VFW had a booth and the Reformed Reformed Church had a dining room there and we had to cook at the church, get them over there and take, you know, it was a place where the village organizations had a yearly expense raising or fundraising project. So that was all part of it. Yeah, during the Depression, my kids were very proud of never having to pay. They got over the fence or under the fence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 you were a sissy or something if you didn't manage it that way. So Dick Howie is chiming in now. the story of his and his buddy, Randy Thomas, uh, which go under the fence, you know. They never paid. You know, they were very proud of this. They did every year. (laughs) (laughs) They were thin. Oh, yes, let's hear a Newt Ronan story. This, to me, typifies Altamont. Uh, Newt had just retired from AT&T, and he was on the rescue squad that got the call to go to Ed and Olive Lape's paint store right across the street from you now. And... uh, Olive had fallen and fractured her hip, and but Ed had to be taken to the hospital too, to two different places. And so Newt said to Olive, if you would like me to and if you trust me, you give me this, the keys to the store and I will keep the store running until you know what you're going to do. So Newt actually kept the paint store running for two years without a salary. Oh, and gosh. then subsequently he said uh, that he bought the paint store and owned it for eight years. But to me, it is just the connectedness of, of Altamont. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. Does yeah. anyone else have any story about that kind of helping your neighbor generosity? Anything coming to mind? Okay, let's hear an Ev Rouse story. This is from Lois Ginsburg. They were renovating the parsonage at St. John's Lutheran Church. And the people who were doing the renovation recommended that they take the carriage house down. It had just a dirt floor. And Everett decided that it could be preserved, it could be saved. He got a group of men, and they had jacks all around the building, and... Every Saturday morning, they'd get out there, and they'd start jacking up the house, and the, the barn, and Ev would walk around and walk around, and as soon as he heard, he did it by hearing, and he would say, okay, we're done for the day. And that continued until they got it up far enough to... What, what would he hear? How far the building could move? Without he, being... Noises. It must have been the noises, okay. and he knew when to stop. And they got it up the ground far enough to pour in a new foundation... And then the process was reversed when they set it back down on the new... He walked around and said, okay, we're done. Even if it was just an inch a day, they managed to preserve that carriage house. Thanks to Ev Rao and his knowledge. He's, he was amazing. 
And it's a great community sharing story because mm-hmm. it took a lot of people mm-hmm. to do it. Yes, it did. That's amazing. 